section twenty three of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven continued milton's early poetry note in milton's work we see plainly the progressive influence of the puritan age thus his horton poems are joyous almost elizabethan in character his prose is stern militant unyielding like the puritan in his struggle for liberty his later poetry following the apparent failure of puritanism in the restoration has a note of sadness yet proclaims the eternal principles of liberty and justice for which he had lived End of note in his early work milton appears as the inheritor of all that was best in elizabethan literature and his first work the ode on the morning of christ's nativity approaches the high water-mark of lyric poetry in england in the next six years from sixteen thirty one to sixteen thirty seven he wrote but little scarcely more than two thousand lines but these are among the most exquisite and the most perfectly finished in our language l'allegro l'allegro and il penseroso are twin poems containing many lines and short descriptive passages which linger in the mind like strains of music and which are known and loved wherever english is spoken l'allegro the joyous or happy man is like an excursion into the english fields at sunrise the air is sweet birds are singing a multitude of sights sounds fragrances fill all the senses and to this appeal of nature the soul of man responds by being happy seeing in every flower and hearing in every harmony some exquisite symbol of human life il penseroso takes us over the same ground at twilight and at moonrise the air is still fresh and fragrant the symbolism is if possible more tenderly beautiful than before but the gay mood is gone though its memory lingers in the afterglow of the sunset a quiet thoughtfulness takes the place of the pure joyous sensation of the morning a thoughtfulness which is not sad though like all quiet moods it is akin to sadness and which sounds the deeps of human emotion in the presence of nature to quote scattered lines of either poem is to do injustice to both they should be read in their entirety the same day one at morning the other at eventide if one is to appreciate their beauty and suggestiveness comus the mask of comus is in many respects the most perfect of milton's poems it was written in sixteen thirty four to be performed at ludlow castle before the earl of bridgewater and his friends there is a tradition that the earl's three children had been lost in the woods and whether true or not milton takes the simple theme of a person lost calls in an attendant spirit to protect the wanderer and out of this with its natural action and melodious songs makes the most exquisite pastoral drama that we possess in form it is a mask like those gorgeous products of the elizabethan age of which ben jonson was the master 
england had borrowed the idea of the mask from italy and had used it as the chief entertainment of all festivals until it had become to the nobles of england what the miracle play had been to the common people of a previous generation milton with his strong puritan spirit could not be content with the mere entertainment of an idle hour comus has the gorgeous scenic effects the music and dancing of other masks but its moral purpose and its ideal teachings are unmistakable the triumph of virtue would be a better name for this perfect little mask for its theme is that virtue and innocence can walk through any peril of this world without permanent harm this eternal triumph of good over evil is proclaimed by the attendant spirit who has protected the innocent in this life and who now disappears from mortal sight to resume its life of joy mortals that would follow me love virtue she alone is free she can teach ye how to climb higher than the sphery chime or if virtue feeble were heaven itself would stoop to her while there are undoubted traces of johnson and john fletcher in milton's comus the poem far surpasses its predecessors in the airy beauty and melody of its verses lycidas in the next poem lycidas a pastoral elegy written in sixteen thirty seven and the last of his horton poems milton is no longer the inheritor of the old age but the prophet of a new a college friend edward king had been drowned in the irish sea and milton follows the poetic custom of his age by representing both his friend and himself in the guise of shepherds leading the pastoral life milton also uses all the symbolism of his predecessors introducing fauns satyrs and sea nymphs but again the puritan is not content with heathen symbolism and so introduces a new symbol of the christian shepherd responsible for the souls of men whom he likens to hungry sheep that look up and are not fed the puritans and royalists at this time were drifting rapidly apart and milton uses his new symbolism to denounce the abuses that had crept into the church in any other poet this moral teaching would hinder the free use of the imagination but milton seems equal to the task of combining high moral purpose with the noblest poetry in its exquisite finish and exhaustless imagery lycidas surpasses most of the poetry of what is often called the pagan renaissance sonnets besides these well-known poems milton wrote in this early period a fragmentary mask called arcades several latin poems which like his english are exquisitely finished and his famous sonnets which brought this italian form of verse nearly to the point of perfection in them he seldom wrote of love the usual subject with his predecessors but of patriotism duty music and subjects of political interest suggested by the struggle into which england was drifting among these sonnets each reader must find his own favorites those best known and most frequently quoted are on his deceased wife to the nightingale 
on reaching the age of twenty-three the massacre in piedmont and the two on his blindness milton's prose of milton's prose works there are many divergent opinions ranging from macaulay's unbounded praise to the condemnation of some of our modern critics from a literary viewpoint milton's prose would be stronger if less violent and a modern writer would hardly be excused for using his language or his methods but we must remember the times and the methods of his opponents in his fiery zeal against injustice the poet is suddenly dominated by the soldier's spirit he first musters his facts in battalions and charges upon the enemy to crush and overpower without mercy for milton hates injustice and because it is an enemy of his people he cannot and will not spare it when the victory is won he exults in a paean of victory as soul-stirring as the song of deborah he is the poet again spite of himself and his mind fills with magnificent images even with a subject so dull so barren of the bare possibilities of poetry as his animadversions upon the remonstrance defence he breaks out into an invocation o thou that sittest in light and glory unapproachable parent of angels and men which is like a chapter from the apocalypse in such passages milton's prose is as taine suggests an outpouring of splendors which suggests the noblest poetry Areopagitica on account of their controversial character these prose works are seldom read and it is probable that milton never thought of them as worthy of a place in literature of them all areopagitica has perhaps the most permanent interest and is best worth reading in milton's time there was a law forbidding the publication of books until they were endorsed by the official censor needless to say the censor holding his office and salary by favor was naturally more concerned with the divine right of kings and bishops than with the delights of literature and many books were suppressed for no better reason than that they were displeasing to the authorities milton protested against this as against every other form of tyranny and his areopagitica so called from the areopagus or forum of athens the place of public appeal and the mars hill of st paul's address is the most famous plea in english for the freedom of the press End of section twenty three